on this episode of Adam's Corner, I'm joined by writer and director Dan Mirvish, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. We didn't go over that, uh, but I'll I'll let you correct me. Uh, close enough, Mirvish. Yeah, Dan Mir- Mirvish. Mirvish. Okay, good, Mirvish. good, good. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, we want to get the word out that your 2021 uh, film it's a comedic take, I would say, on uh, the missing 18 and a half minute gap on the uh the white house uh tapes uh the made the tapes made inside the white house during the nixon administration's reign as it were mm-hmm. and so uh, it's kind of a comedic take on that that was released uh oh going on three years ago which is hard to believe but uh well, it is, yeah it is yeah, hard yeah. to believe because imdb doesn't get release dates right so um yeah 2021 was when we started playing at film festivals the actual theatrical release was summer of 2020 Mm -hmm. so okay yeah 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 well i know well you know that where i'm kind (laughs) of i'm i'm getting ahead of myself as it were too because the film is important in its in and of itself it's it's uh getting really the reviews are pretty positive, especially in Rotten Tomatoes, seventy-eight percent. So that's uh, that's more than fresh, a little yeah. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, so you should a, take some pride in that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, but thank you. yes, it's getting a physical media release courtesy of MVD Home Entertainment, and we want to mm-hmm. make sure that people know that. But the uh, the not to bury the lead here, but what's really interesting is that there's a documentary about the making of this film. And uh, the making of this film is as interesting as the film itself, because you. you guys were um, one of the last productions, if not the last production in North America during the uh, shutdown, uh, the COVID uh, pandemic as as it happened and unfolded. And so you guys were kind of making it up on the fly. How do we do this? And it's an interesting story. And so uh, I've got you here as a guest to tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of give us a a bird's eye view, I guess you sure. could say, of what uh, what what went down, and and you could talk about the film a little bit before <laughs> if you want to, uh, and we can just work our way into it. Then you can talk about the origins of the film and how it came together, and then we can work into the actual production if you want to do it that way, or yeah. if you have a better idea. No, 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 no that's I'll sound, let you that, do it. That sounds great, Adam. Um, yeah. So this thing, excuse me, um, mm-hmm. came about. Um, started really the day after um, Trump was elected in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was still shooting my last film, uh, which is called Bernard and Huey, and then went out to the tip of Long Island to show dailies to our um, uh, the writer on that, Jules Pfeiffer, who had been a cartoonist for The Village Voice and actually won a Pulitzer Prize uh, for political cartooning for writing cartoons about Nixon during Watergate. And so inevitably we start talking about Nixon, you know, the day after Trump gets elected, you know, you know, how many impeachments could we possibly have? Um, (laughs) And I was with my buddy Terry Keefe at the time. He had driven me over to see Jules was living on Shelter Island at the time, which Mm -hmm. is sort of between the Hamptons and Long Island. I don't know. It's it's an island. And um, and then we took the ferry uh afterwards and i stayed at uh this motel that that my friend terry ran uh called the silver sands motel and it's this beautiful motel on on the on the beach in uh in greenport new york um that his grandparents had built in the 50s and 60s and we were looking you know he was showing it to me and and terry was a smart guy he had been an indie film producer before and he had kind of kept this place kind of 
really vintage looking and it had been used as a lot of um as a location for a lot of fashion shoots especially but he never let anyone shoot a feature film there and since we were you know both had kind of watergate on the brain i looked around and i was like you know terry this looks like 1974 which is about the last time his grandparents stopped renovating the place and um i said why don't we do a watergate film here you know, uh, and he's like, well, it's not the Watergate. <laughs> it's, you know, <laughs> it's a beachside motel in, uh, in Long Island. And I said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. So I came up with the storyline with, uh, uh, with another friend of ours, uh, Daniel Moya. Um, and coincidentally, Daniel, who's, who's from Long Island, his, his aunt worked at this diner that was just down the street from Terry's Motel. So we're like, well, great. Now we have two locations and it was a vintage looking diner as well. Um, so then we just kind of crafted the story around. And the story is about a, a young woman played by the great Willa Fitzgerald, um, who is a transcriber in the Nixon White House who then uh, gets a hold of the missing 18 and a half minute gap from the Nixon White House tapes and tries to leak it to a reporter played by the great John Magaro. Uh, and they, and they meet at a seaside destination. We, we say it's in Maryland because it's a movie, so you can change locations, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then they, they, they run afoul of hippie swingers and nefarious people out to get them. And uh, yeah, so it's sort of a thriller comedy type hybrid genre i don't know but um mm-hmm. but that but that's the story of the movie and then we have you know wonderful cast that, that joins them uh the the guy who runs a hotel is is the great richard kind and oh, yes. the second film i'd worked with with him um and then they meet this older couple uh wonderfully played by kathy Curtin and bondy curtis hall and then they and they run into hippies which are uh sullivan jones and claire and alana saunders and 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 then and then we they wind up listening to the tape and uh it's not a spoiler to say that it's a, the Nixon the voice of Nixon is played by uh the great Bruce Campbell and um uh Haldeman who was his uh, chief of staff was played by John Cryer and uh Al Haig who was the second chief of staff was played by Ted Raimi um and then there's some odd cameos by people like uh, Lloyd Kaufman from Troma in there too just for just for kicks Awesome. Pretty much just for kicks, <laughs> but it's great. It was great having Lloyd around. Um, anyway, so that so that's the film, and then how we made. And it's a low budget indie film, so we had done crowdfunding to cobble together just barely enough money to make it. And we decided to start shooting March third, twenty twenty. What could possibly go wrong in March of twenty twenty? <laughs> and, and as you say, yeah, we found out because the DGA. I'm in the DGA. The DGA mm-hmm. rep came to see us on like March. I don't know, 15th or something. And she said, oh, this is great. You guys are isolated out here. You're a bubble. I'm like, bubble, what are you talking about? It's, you know, oh, you're doing social distancing. I'm like, what's that? I've never even heard of that. And um, and we had heard that some productions had shut down, but she she told us, no, we think you guys are the last f- feature shooting in North America. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, what does <laughs> everyone else know that we don't know? And so the next day we decided we needed to shut down as well. So we had about 11 days shot, but we still had four days left to go. I mean, we still Mm -hmm. had a fair bit left in the movie. So I grabbed the hard drives and took the first, the last flight out of Islip back to LA, which is where I live. And and I started editing the movie, but about a third of our crew, you know, kind of the, the hipster single people from Brooklyn, you know, at the time, if, 
you remember and everyone remembers uh at the height at the beginning of the pandemic new york city was the the epicenter at least in the u.s and so they were like we don't want to go back to new york uh so terry let them stay at that motel for as long as they wanted which as it turned out was was over two months it was like 10 weeks uh for most of them and then our cinematographer el schneider she actually stayed for six months um and then during that time at the the you know beginning part of the pandemic um you know, we were still, I was editing every day. Um, we were still doing what we could remotely to just keep plugging away at the film. And so one of the things we did in like May or June of that year was we were like, well, these actors, these voice actors that we were going to work with, they're just sitting at home because actors couldn't act on stage, screen, anything. They were just sitting around. And a couple of them had decent microphones. So we said, why don't we just kind of do it on Zoom? Um, so we did, we did, we took, you know, had these two short sessions uh, over a couple of days with, with Bruce and Ted and then, and then Bruce and John and, uh, and essentially did their, you know, did what winds up being almost an 18 and a half minute long radio play, you know, essentially uh, over zoom, which was, which, uh, you know, we talk about in the, in the little documentary, but it, it, you know, psychologically that was a real boost to all of us, to, to the whole creative community. Like, Oh yeah, there are still ways to keep moving forward, to keep being creative, for actors to keep acting, for for directors to keep directing in the middle of a global pandemic. And I think that was a real shot in the arm to everyone on the on the production and and all of our backers that, you know, yeah, we're you know, the world might be ending, but we're still making a movie, you know. So yeah. um and then sure enough, we we then became one of the first productions back in production in September 2020. So exactly six months later, uh, once uh, the Directors Guild and Screen Actors Guild had kind of COVID safe protocols with masks and shields and testing, uh, all of that was in place. New York still had a two-week um, quarantine for people from LA, you know, from, from Californians. So luckily almost everyone was from, was from New York, except for me. So I went back there, you know, I, I smuggled in my, my sourdough starter that I had diligently made in LA <laughs> and, um, and started baking for the crew. Uh, anyway. And so we were able to do those last four days and, uh, and then, and then, you know, then took our time finishing the film you know uh, mm -hmm. there was still some shooting i had to do of like insert shots in la which you know by that point we we're in the second lockdown and the you know that next winter and i was just doing it with my kids and, and and wife helping me out and that was fun um but uh and then as i mentioned we we premiered the film in uh september 2021 mm -hmm. at the woodstock film festival and this was at a time when festivals had been, you know, uh, dormant or or at least virtual for about the first year and a half of the pandemic. And then we're just starting to come out and, and do live events again. Uh, and we we kind of uh, surfed the, 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 the COVID troughs, you know, so we played all the trough festivals between between Delta and Omicron in fall of 2021. And then, and then Omicron hit and every festival went, went virtual again. And so we, and we said, no, let's just wait. And then in the spring of 2020, there were live festivals again. So we did about another 10 festivals then. So, you know, we wound up with 25 or 30 festivals when all said and done, but, uh, and then meanwhile, we had gotten distribution for the film, um, 
from a London-based company first, and then and then a actually an Australian-owned company did our U.S. theatrical distribution. But we had a theatrical release in um, in the summer of 2020, kind of uh, sorry 2022, kind of timed to the 50th anniversary of of Watergate of of the initial Watergate break-in because Watergate was like a two and a half year long scandal. Uh, and that was great. We we sort of rode the, the the crest of that, you know, publicity as best as we could, and we wound up doing a sixty city theatrical release, um, which lasted about seven months. I really, you know, not just me, but everyone on production really toured with the film uh, extensively, and then and then it's been playing on Stars, and then yeah, it's going to be on DVD April 9th through our friends at MVD with all this extra. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, footage and the documentary and as well as like, you can listen to it. We recorded the audience at, at our world premiere at Woodstock, because I was like, you know, at that point we're like, we're at a live festival. We don't know if there's ever going to be live festivals again. So let's just record the audio. So right, you can listen yeah. as if you were there um, at our opening night, which was a lot of fun. So uh, yeah. So that's the short version of the story. Adam. Well, that's, I mean, it's an interesting story for sure. I, I was curious too about just going, I'll backtrack a little bit, but uh, yeah, from the time definitely. you guys got the script put together uh, and the time that you actually started shooting the film, uh, how long did it take you to raise the funds? I'm I'm always curious about that. Yeah, no, process. that's a good question. I mean, Daniel and I, Daniel Moya and I, we worked on the script for for a good year and a half, mm-hmm. almost two years at least, um, you know, because it was a lot of research. Um, you know, he's a lot younger than me, so he was doing original research on Watergate. I n- knew a lot about Watergate, but was still doing a lot of research. Um, and we really, you know, it's it's a complicated plot, and uh, so much so some people are still confused by the ending. But um, <laughs> but that's okay, uh, you know. But we really kind of focused on the characters too. Um, but I think we we considered the script finished in about May or June of uh, 2019. Mm-hmm. And so it was about nine months to raise the money to get to to shooting, uh, which was not an easy nine months. We were doing crowdfunding on Seed and Spark. We had a lot of uh, plus we had investors and donors and backers. And um, and that was barely enough to get through you know, those three weeks or, or 15 days of production. And then to get hit with with COVID in the middle of that, all of a sudden to come back six months later, we knew we were going to have to raise a substantial amount of money, uh, more money. And and we luckily we were able to. We were able to find some, some investors that came in right before that September shoot. Because just the logistics of um, of shooting during COVID, especially at that time, getting everyone tested, you know, it was not just these instant 15 minute tests. Then you had to, we literally had to like drive to hospitals and, and contract with hospitals to get testing because SAG was requiring 24 hour testing. And so it was, uh, which was not at all clear that that was even going to be possible in New York at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actors had to be driven out in separate cars and crew had to be separated so that they wouldn't you know, cross-contaminate each other and everybody had a backup position in case somebody's test came back negative or or just if their test came back late, which was a really real possibility. So it was it was uh it was expensive to to 
come back there all again. And then, you know, have to pay the crew all over again, you know, and, and pay mm-hmm. for it all over again. So uh, it was, it was a challenge, but we, we somehow pulled it off. Yeah. Uh, it, it's uh, quite a feat that you guys were able to pull off with the, um, you know, getting that all you know completed and everything. Cause it was, it was definitely some, um, challenging times. I mean, nobody really knew how it was all going to go. And so, uh, you know, for, to, to just be caught right in the middle of that, I can imagine the, uh, being on pins and needles emotionally yeah, speaking. Exactly. Exactly. And I, you know, much to the consternation of the cast and crew, I was filming behind the scenes, every, everything that was going on mm-hmm. as it was going on, including that moment when, uh, when uh, John McGarrow and Willa are getting driven back to New York, you know, as we shut down and, uh, and we just didn't know if we were ever going to come back, you know, no one had ever really been through anything like this before. And we were like, well, maybe we're coming back. Maybe we're not, we don't know, you know, and we knew, and I knew I didn't have enough footage to put a whole movie together. I knew I had enough for 75 or 80% of it, but so I knew we needed something to come back mm-hmm. to, but I didn't know if it would be sock puppets or animation or, you know, <laughs> believe me, we thought of everything. Uh, and so, but luckily, you know, one, once everyone was able to come back, uh, thankfully none of the actors had put on 200 pounds or, or lost weight. Uh, Richard kind had actually lost weight during, during those wow. first six months, okay. but we hadn't shot with him in the first part. So by the time we came back, uh, you know, that he was what he was, you know, um, yeah. but he, he definitely had lost weight and there were, and there were some people on the crew that had put on weight, but luckily we don't see them. So that was, yes. right. <laughs> you know. yeah, that, that was, uh, that was the thing that was going on. You know, uh, it, it was either one extreme or the other people were overeating out of fear and panic or either they were had all this extra time and they were just <laughs> exercising like crazy. So it was, yeah, you exactly. were doing one or the other. You yeah. Know, it was yeah. Kind of funny. And then we, we did have, we did have a bit of a challenge because I think Willa's hair had changed styles. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And so it, it actually took a little bit of effort and planning to get her hair kind of back to where it was. <laughs> but, luck, luck is, but it's not like she'd shaved it or anything like that. Yes. So that, was, that would have been a bit extreme. But, uh, that's when you call, yeah. start calling for the wigs and things. Exactly. Like. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have to do that. So that was... Yeah. And it's uh, you budget was tight. So budgeting for wigs might've been <laughs> even more right. problematic. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's actually a quick, turnaround from the time that you guys script, uh, finished the script to getting it financed uh it's very uh difficult these days to get independently made films off the ground there's not that dvd uh home video marketplace where you know when i was a, a teenager mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, there were a lot of films that you know they knew if they financed them and they didn't do well theatrically well that's okay we'll make our money back on home video. And we just don't have that pipeline anymore because everything's going straight to streaming and we don't, there's that, right. you know, and, and so it's, the, it's really the, the, clo- the closest analog to that now is, is airline sales. And that uh-huh. was one area where we did, well, we didn't, we didn't do it before we shot the movie, but once, once we finished the movie, we actually did, we sold the film, to an airline distributor that ultimately got it onto about 10 airlines. And that's where we made most of our money, uh, strangely enough. So it wound up playing on JetBlue, Virgin Atlantic, Emirates, Qatar, Air New Zealand, uh, uh, Singapore Air. Um, and actually, I think uh, 
since I put that documentary together, it, we found out that it actually had played on Mongolian air and, uh, and, <laughs> and Boliviana in Bolivia. So, um, uh, so it actually wound up playing in, in, in a lot of places, but, uh, but that was, but yeah, but we didn't know that beforehand. So sure, yeah. yeah, we couldn't count on that. No, it's really hard to raise money on these things. And, um, you know, and, and I make these films, this is about my sixth feature and, uh, you know, I get a great crew and we pay them, um, but not a lot of money. Uh, so, yeah. you know, we try to supplement it with Omaha Steaks, you know, product placement food and mm -hmm. which turned out to be what those, you know, eight people, you know, on the quarantine, uh, you know, the, the, the folks that stayed on at the, at the hotel, they survived on product placement, beer and steak and coffee that we had left over from the production. So that worked. So, you know, thanks to uh, Omaha Steaks and Conscious Coffees. Yeah, I saw that in the in the uh, video. I, I I was watching it and I saw them cooking the steaks. There's some footage of them doing yeah. that. And yeah. uh, that's uh, that that was quite I, it made me chuckle a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah, because well, otherwise it would have otherwise it would have eaten the key grip. So, um, <laughs> you know, he had some good legs. So, you know, so it's a good, good thing we had those steaks. Yeah. Yeah, it might have been a uh, a whole other story that uh, was uh, that we were uh, making a documentary about, as opposed to the uh, the last film being shot during a pandemic. It was. Uh... <laughs> yeah, well, I, I tell you, even during those first eleven days, yeah. I mean, we you know we were isolated, but we knew there was something going on. You know, sure, and, yeah, and, and the actors were checking their you know news all the time, and mm -hmm. and it definitely lent to a sort of paranoid quality. That was, you know, that dovetailed the the nature of the film and the tone of the film. Um, you know, if you're going to be stuck making a paranoid conspiracy thriller, you may as well be getting ready for, you know, the end of the world. So, um, so in that sense, it kind of helped us a little bit uh, tonally because we were like, yeah, we don't know, we don't know which one of us we're going to have to eat next week. You know. <laughs> so. Oh gosh, yeah, that's um. Well, were there any other challenges besides the, uh, you know, just the challenges? I mean, there's obviously challenges, but, you know, other than the inconveniences of driving, uh, having to drive people back and forth. And like you were talking about, is there anything else that comes to mind? I'm just curious about that. Just really. Well, there's, uh, you know, and we didn't really get into this in the documentary, but mm -hmm. uh, there was a rule in New York that you have to shoot in a in an approved a state approved studio space in order to get like the New York state tax credits. And uh, and there weren't any out on that tip of Long Island. So the the original plan is that the last day of production, we were going to we were going to shoot a day of, of and these are the office flashbacks that you see um, uh, Lloyd Kaufman and Mahia Abney in. Um, mm -hmm. And we we're going to do it in in like queens or something but then because of the pandemic happening uh we were like yeah we're not going to keep driving back and forth to new york city it's it's not safe for for anyone to do that so we worked with the state of new york to find a location that would qualify as a um as an approved stage and they said all right well look you just need to find a location with 7,000 square feet of unobstructed space. So like a where, so we were looking at warehouses, we were looking at equestrian farms, we were looking at all kinds of places. And then as it turned out, we found an American Legion hall that was uh, just about a mile away from the Silver Sands where our 
where we were all based anyway. Um, and, and this American Legion hall had been turned into a roller skating rink. So it had 7,000 square feet of unencumbered space and they had shut down because of the pandemic. So they were losing money. So we said, Hey, how about we qualify you for this New York state list as an approved, you know, studio space and we'll pay you some money. And they were like, great, you know? And so we actually built the, um, uh, the the three walls of that office. We used one of their walls that was there, the one on the right, uh, which is like a brick wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really is their offices. But then on the left, it's actually it's a fake wall that we had built, and there's a there's a roller skating rink there. And in fact, on the on the DVD, you can see in the uh, on the documentary, there's one little moment where we show in an outtake. Uh, I think Willa or Maria moves her head back one of the actresses moves her head back and you can see the sign that says please return your skates you know to the <laughs> to the uh, booth or something like that um so that was a fun challenge that we kind of came up with a really fun creative solution to and uh and, and was good for the local community in greenport you know they they loved that we were you know putting mm-hmm. this, you know keeping our money there so that that was one <laughs> that was one challenge that you know you don't expect to figure out how to film in a skating rink during a global pandemic, but you do. Um, uh, but I mean, the other challenges were, were sort of, uh, you, you know, doing a period movie, doing a 1974, you know, cause it takes place in January, 1974, you know, how do you do a period movie on a low budget? And on my previous film, Bernard and Huey, I had kind of cracked that code a little bit because about 10% of that movie were flashbacks to 1988. Mm-hmm. And in a New York City subway scene, actually right here, this is, well, sort of a little house now, but it used to be my garage where, where I'm talking from and in L.A. And, and once we did that successfully, I, that kind of cracked the code in my head, like, okay, don't be afraid of doing period movies, you know, on a low budget. It It can be done. And so we... You know, one nice thing was was Terry was able to just put the word out to the local community about getting vintage cars. And uh, and like literally the night before we're shooting with the car that we see Connie driving, um, he found a, a local older gentleman in, in the area who had this great Dodge um, uh, car. And and then it was only like, well, sh- about halfway through the day shooting with it the next day that we noticed that it said swinger on the side of it. <laughs> and, you know, when you see the movie that 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 really like is perfect kismet, you know, because they we, we think they're running into some swingers along the way. So um, so we took advantage of the, of of that, that car and that particular brand of car. But it was just an accident, you know. So sometimes you get these fun, happy accidents when you're looking for old vehicles and things like that. But we had a, we had a great costume designer, Sarah Kogan, who did an amazing job doing all these period costumes and a great production designer, Monica Dabrowski. And, um, and then we had, you know, Terry's place, the silver sands was just filled with all kinds of great, you know, furniture. So we, we could move things from one cabin to another cabin Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, rebuild a, an old um, spiral staircase in one of the cabins that was kind of left abandoned. And, um, and uh, yeah. And then, and then Monica found all these real, the real players on, um, on uh, eBay. 
you know, and, and so, cause there's, there's more than one that you see in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to make sure we had at least one backup too. So, uh, so that was a, that was a fun challenge, but you know, it was, it was, you know, from a creative challenge, um, one of the hardest things or, or challenging things uh, to do was there's one big scene at the, towards the end of the movie, it's not really giving it away, but where our main characters are listening to this tape. Well, we always knew that we were going to record the uh, kind of our, our main actor, our main voice actors after the fact. Um, and so we had to, uh, so on set though, we needed our, 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 our main actors, uh, Willa and John to react to these voices. So we had to, my uh, producing partner, Daniel and, and, and our, our um, uh, someone else on the crew, um, we recorded a scratch track and then Daniel actually is sitting be, be, you know, under a TV, under, a, under a blanket on the set, yelling, listening in one ear um, to, to our scratch track and yelling out cue words, just like, you know, fall and Liddy and things like that. Like every few seconds so that the actors, John and, and uh, Willa could react to them. And that was, that was a scene that, you know, was complicated and, but it was really because we had a great crew and, and wonderful actors that could do that, you know, could pull it off believably. And, um, uh, and, and I think that scene really works nicely. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I wondered about the challenges of uh, doing a period film. Uh, and so, especially when you're on a limited budget. So I'm glad you got into that and, you know, elaborated yeah. on that because that that's that's something that uh, I am curious about. As we discussed, that you know, budgets are getting tighter and tighter, and there's less of a market for independently made films, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's a that's a whole other uh, ball of wax, as it were. But uh, yeah, well, um, do you have anything on the uh, the horizons that you're working on? Just to give listeners a, a an idea of what might be next. Well, uh, there's a couple of things. I'm I'm working actually on a on a graphic novel based on an old script called Stamp and Deliver, which uh, the script was published as a book last year. But now I'm working with a friend who's an illustrator, and we're doing a graphic novel on that. And then another friend of mine just wrote a fantastic, brilliant, funny, funny script about uh, that's kind of a a satire on Marjorie Taylor Greene, and uh, so <laughs> which is a bit more contemporary, but still sort of in the re- realm of political satire. Um, and so we're trying to get that one off the ground now. So if anyone out there, uh, in podcast land, uh, wants to give us a lot of money to make that, we, we will be happy to. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but I, but otherwise, I mean, it took me a while. The, the behind the scenes documentary, uh, it, you know, took a good year to cut together. So, uh, so I'm glad that's ready to go on the DVD. So mm-hmm. that, that really took a lot of time and, and I'm proud of it, you know, cause it's, it is a unique story I think to tell. I don't know that any other films that shut down when we did were documenting the whole story like we, <laughs> as we were. So I think for those uh, future historians of film, I think this will be an interesting thing, whether you like the movie or not is another matter, but um, but I think just sort of how the film industry responded to to COVID and what were the creative solutions filmmakers like us were doing to to kind of plow through it uh, safely. Um, I think that is an interesting story in and of itself. I do, too. And I'm so yeah. glad you guys uh, documented that and that it's on there. 
uh, for people who, um, like myself, are big fans of physical media, as you can see behind me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, fan. yeah. So, and, uh, and, and one thing we didn't talk about is another big thing that we did during that six-month shutdown was we mm-hmm. recorded a lot of um, uh, music for the film. There's probably okay. a lot more music yeah. in the film than there would have been otherwise. So I have a great composer, Luis Guerra. Um, who lives close to me, but uh, we're still working remotely, but because musicians were sitting at home around the world. So we Mm -hmm. wound up with a horn section in Mexico and a a Brazilian singer in LA who then also recorded in Brazil at a studio there. And so there's a whole section on on the little documentary about about putting together the, what is mostly a kind of Brazilian influenced uh, soundtrack. And then we were very lucky that one of the songs that we did wound up being an Oscar contender last year for the uh, for the best song. And uh, so Variety, Hollywood Reporter, IndieWire all all said we were an Oscar contender, uh, which was good. and that was a lot of fun just kind of going through that whole process. Uh, sure, for, again, yeah. this little little song that we you know cobbled together over three countries um, during a pandemic and uh, to be considered you know. You know, it's just, it's an honor just to be eligible for these things, much less a contender. So, much less win. You know, but um, yeah, uh, but it was, but it's a big part of the story too. Is 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 the uh, the music, and it just added a whole new element to the um, uh, to the film. And so the soundtrack is out, so, so people can get the soundtrack. That's on Spotify and other places too. Which is um, and that, and we actually did do. Speaking of physical media, we did, and I don't have it on me here i normally have it but um but we did a seven inch uh vinyl uh single uh which was a lot of fun to put that out um that was our first uh physical media was actually that um and then, oh how and then, awesome yeah That's so crazy. that was that was fun to do um but yeah so it's been it's been a fun project everyone's still talking to each other that's rare so um mm-hmm. uh and um you know, and then we've talked about, oh, could, could 18 and a half be a play? Could it be, you know, could it be a series? Could it be something else? And and that's, and those are, those are things that we are talking about doing as well. So, yeah. Well, that's exciting. That's exciting. We'll look forward to see how it all, uh, what what you're doing next and whether it becomes a play. That, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, well, thanks for coming on and telling us your very unique story. Uh, I Thank certainly you, enjoyed hearing it and we will look forward to, uh, uh, if anybody wants to, they can find the video doc, uh, the documentary about the making of the film. It's it's actually on YouTube, but like myself, I would prefer to have a physical copy. But if yeah, you, uh, it's uh, the, the, yeah that YouTube link. That's just for you, Adam. Don't share that. Um, okay, I got you. Okay, <laughs> never mind. Never mind. Yeah, scratch no, no, that. No. It's it's just on the DVD. That's okay. where. And, so and it is on the uh, DVD. I had yeah. a link, ladies and gentlemen, and I I assumed it was public, but it is not. So get your DVD. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, please do. We'll just say that. Um, all right. Thank you, Adam. Yeah. Yes. DVD comes out April 9th. So wherever yes. DVDs are still sold, which, uh, but I know it's a, it's all already available for pre-order on Amazon and Target and Barnes and Noble and, uh, and directly from MVD themselves. Yes. Well, we recommend everybody pick up a copy if you uh, have the capability to, to play it at home, which DVD players, people don't have them as commonly as they used to, but if you have one, uh, I would recommend getting it. So uh, it's a it's a fun little movie. I uh, I did see it and uh, watched it, and I I heartily enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank All you right. Thanks. Thanks for coming on, and um, best of luck on your future. Endeavors.